This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Beyond Ears and Eyes. I'm Shemaine Harris. And, um, yeah, if you want to give us an SMS, here's our number live. 079 And do remember, after the show, there's going to be the podcast, which you can listen to and we do Please share it. Um, and today I've got an amazing woman as a guest. And her name is Ingrid Irma Jones. I want to say the Irma just because I can. Ingrid, welcome to Beyond Ears and Eyes. It's quite a pleasure to spend some time with you today. Awesome. So you are, I mean, I don't know where to start because you're, you're a very busy woman. You're a very accomplished woman. And, um, and I'm not blowing smoke anywhere, but, <laughs> but I just want to mention that, you know, um, that you sent a, a little, little CV and, um, I'm going to read some of it. Normally I don't do this, but I want to read some of this. Um, and, um, just so that people can know, you know, that you really, when we start talking, that you're really not just talking, you actually, um, are a busy person. You, you put your money where your mouth is. So it says here that you're the founder director or one of the founder directors of Mikateko Media and you're serving as the managing director currently with specific focus on growing the business while at the same time <coughs> filling the role of editorial director of content. So your career includes um, teaching, that's secondary and tertiary, radio and television presenting, consumer and customer magazines, editor across multiple titles and also serving Serving on the executive of the Black Africans Writers Forum and Satu branch structure, motivational speaker, heading up a, a, an NPO, uh, which is a non-profit organization that serves women and children from disadvantaged communities, with specific emphasis on education and fundraising for bursaries. I mean, you just go on and on, and it's crazy amazing. So, <laughs> so also one of the things that you do is you you've men you still do and you have mentored many uh, young black media students um, to also become successful practitioners. Now, that is a, a lot that you do. How do you keep everything together? I mean, and, and how do you, how do you run from the one project to the other? Because obviously it seems like you're kind of like a little, um, what do we call that, um, ADHD? <laughs> Listen, that was quite a mouthful listening to it, ma'am. I must also say, because I'm 55 years old, uh-huh. um, it doesn't, it's, it's not a lot. You know, it took some time to, to do all of those things. Um, but so, so how do I do all of it? Mm. I have discovered as I um, get older that um, I have a bucket list of the stuff that I want to achieve. Oh, wow. And it's less about the, the success for me anymore as opposed to doing the stuff that I like to do. Mm-hmm. Um and I've also come to realize very, very early on that it is all about giving back 
um, and so many of the things that I do or want to be involved in is all about um, giving back. And so just to go back to that CV, it's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of old and a little bit of new. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there um, for the Afrikaans, Black Afrikaans writers. That was many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. I was even married then. So, but so I have accumulated a lot of things, I think, as I go along. Um, and uh, I'm giving you a long answer now, but, you know, when I, when I think, I've, somebody once told me that you should do things for three years. Ah. And after the three years, you should look at what is it that you are supposed to do next. And so earlier on in my career, I, I would stay at a place for about three years. Um, and then I would feel almost in my bone and in my soul that it is time um, to move on. Uh-huh. And so many of the things that has happened actually happened, you know, every time there were three years were gone, um, something new would be on the horizon. And then I would say, well, let me try that. So was that something you put out or was that something that just kind of organically happened uh, or where you went, uh, 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 it's three years, I must, you know, I must change direction or I must uh, add or, you know, go um, to where my heart leads? Look, it happened very organically. Um, I sometimes say to people I was probably at the right time, at the right place. Um, Don't necessarily believe in luck. Um, So every time when I kind of got to the three-year mark, there was somebody who offered me something exciting to do. Uh And it was every time it was completely out of my comfort zone. And the only thing that I knew um, was that I could write well and I could speak well. And it was in those arenas that I kind of find who I am. Okay. So this uh, today's conversation, I mean, I know uh, this has gone on a long time and I should have probably mentioned earlier today. Today's conversation really is um, for us to highlight, you know, the modern day woman and, and, and you and how you do that. And, you know, and we speak about spirituality with, with within that realm of being a modern day woman that, you know, ha- who has balls that they need to catch you know and constantly balance like you are doing now so um if you if you look at what you do and would you call yourself modern in 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 your approach or would you call yourself the quintessential modern day woman i'm very scared of labels shabane let me firstly start there okay um because for me growth is very generic if i use my own life I wasn't always as independent as I was or as I am right now. I started off as a normal conservative girl from the Platteland mm-hmm. um, who came to the city with an, a patriarchal upbringing. And so there were things that men did and there were things that women did. And so in my first relationships, for example, um, uh, I would I would be the girl and there would be a boy and there would be a young woman mm-hmm. and there would be a young man. And I would very conservatively mimic what the roles that I've seen um, of the people around me until I went to university and uh, my mind was open to a lot of things because my parents always um, asked us, begged us almost to just read and read and read and expand our worlds. Um, when I became aware that, um, but, but that's not it. You know, mm. and um, so I think how one did, of the how first. How did you get to the awareness that that's not it? Were, were there people along your way, like the new people that you met after you know, leaving the town that you were living in? I, look, I started, I think, living intentionally. Um, so I I surrounded myself with people who didn't agree necessarily with me, uh-huh. um, and I surrounded myself with um, 
books that took me out of my comfort zone and I attached myself to people whom I know would push my every button. Because there are a few things that one learns. If somebody pushes your button uh-huh. and you feel comfortable about that particular thing, it means it's something within yourself that is under and undeveloped. So let me go back if you talk about spirituality, for example, and let me put the word jealousy in there. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and also so, about that consciousness that you, because you said it was a con- it's conscious living. So, it is conscious living. Yeah, so if you can so also then, expand on that. Yeah. Um, so when I then started, because I want to use this word jealousy as an example of conscious living. Uh-huh. So where I grew up, jealousy was almost people sort of saw jealousy as part of a relationship. Right, uh-huh. A man is supposed to be jealous of his wife and uh, the wife is supposed to be jealous of um, her husband. And so I was a jealous girlfriend hmm. until, you know, I became an adult and, and I was looking at this relationship that didn't work out in the end. And I was wondering, like, you know, what went wrong and why was it me? And until I discovered that jealousy is such a wasted emotion. Uh-huh. So I, I don't understand that concept and feeling anymore because what jealousy does it feeds into all your insecurities me being from the platteland me not being as, as as beautiful as the girls in the city me not being as fluent in english as the girls in this all the same insecurities yeah. and so then i started empowering myself with the stuff that would speak to all of the things that i felt uncomfortable about mm-hmm. right so if i'm not the prettiest, then I must be the cleverest. So if I'm not the this, then I must be the that. So, you know, that kind of thing. So because you have to make up for the stuff that you that you don't have, you have to in fill all sorts space. of ways. Yeah, you have to fill but some space there. You have to. And so so now so when I when I perfected that emotion, perfected's probably the wrong word, that I I will not entertain that kind of emotion in my life mm-hmm. because it is such a negative space to be in. So nowadays, or from that moment, when I walk into a room, whether the queen is there or whether uh, whoever is there, uh-huh. I do believe that when I walk in there, I am the cleverest, the tallest, <laughs> the thinnest, the whatever. Uh-huh. So I can almost hold court with anyone yeah. because I do not believe that anyone in that room is superior to me or will make me feel small in any particular way. So now you've learned. If it makes sense to you, it does. It totally does. It's like you, 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 you know, and it's and it's not a superficial know that you have arrived in the space that you uh, occupy. You claim because it's been given to you, and you make mm. use of it and you expand on it um, because you've learned. Uh, uh, you know, obviously. So for me, that makes pretty uh, good sense. Um, so, and I, I would imagine that that's something that you could use when you were teaching young people. Definitely, because you know what I. There's a story that I that I like to tell um, because I was a teacher for quite a long time um, at the high school in Belar um, here in the Western Cape, mm-hmm. and um, I could never understand why kids because I was an Afrikaans teacher, mm-hmm. and so Opstella compositions was a huge part of um, you know you have to mark like for days on the compositions that these kids um, had to write, and I was wondering why is it so putrid? Why is it not? what I think it should be. And so I sat the kids down one day and I asked, you know, um, about their worldview. I just assumed people read and they they have, they have a worldview and they're from the city, so how can they not, not know all of these things? Mm-hmm. And there was one particular boy whom I asked, um, so, so where do you see yourself um, in the world? Uh, where do you want to travel to? 
And then he said to me, he just wants to get to, I can't now remember the name of the place, um, but it was literally the suburb outside of Bella. That was Aww. where he wanted to travel to. Mm-hmm. And and then I said, and, and like, where else? And then he said, you know what, maybe if you can just get to the airport. So the dream didn't say I want to get on a plane and go somewhere. The dream didn't have any aspirations outside of that particular township. Mm-hmm. And it floored me. Mm-hmm. And it gave me the understanding that um, if if your mind is not expanded and if your mind is 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 not um, entertained and if you don't feed these minds of these kids who are sitting in front of you, you get them for 30 minutes a day, 35 minutes a day, an mm-hmm. hour a day, what are you going to do with that hour? And so I decided, you know what, screw all of these textbooks that these people have prescribed for these children. Mm-hmm. And then I started writing um, short stories with them about their own life experiences, and I tried wow. to get them to go out of their world. Um, we would lie sometimes, we would lie. Um, the airport is quite near to Bella, mm. and I would take them outside, and we would lie on the sports field on our backs, and when the planes go over, we would just like scream all our frustrations <laughs> out, like destinations that we want to, to, to go to. Uh-huh. And I could see the, the effect that I had um, on, on children, you know, I was, I was a very shy girl, but when I started discovering my voice, um, and when I started discovering that people actually listen to me and people actually think I'm funny and people actually think I'm this, I started to hone, you know, again, those skills that, that make sense to me. Uh-huh. And, um, so if you talk about, you know, that kind of thing, and that's what I always keep in my life. I always, when I am in a conversation, if, if I'm, um, in the, multitudes of people, I try to get to that place where I understand this is who you are, this is how the world responds to you. In other words, that is your power. So you still do it, though. You, there are still young people who come to you, you know, um, and you and you still have input into young people's lives. I do. I collect them like pearls in a, on a string. Um, so when I meet somebody, has it changed how you approach them now from when you were a teacher? Um, I think there's a little, a little change because you know what? Then you get the people who sit in front of you, right? You don't have a choice. You have to work with what you've got. So nowadays, <laughs> I. Uh, spend a lot of time with young people and I, and I watch people and I, um, and then you can see where there's a connection, where there's someone who you can add value to. And those are the people that I, that I say that I collect like pearls because I love to work with them. I love to take them, um, on board. I employ them in our company. Do they um, come and ask you for, for, for help or assistance or employment or are these, these people that you identify? Do you just say, okay, you? I've seen that, and you need to come with me. How do you work? I will do my utmost to get those people to work with me. Okay. Um, and um, so I do that. Some people apply. You can immediately see the um, if there's potential. Um, we, for example, at the moment, we've got um, two young interns. I assumed that the children came from university, and so I asked them, and then they said, well, they're straight from high school. Mm-hmm. And so now again... It's like you you have to teach um, and mentor for the next couple of months so intensely and spend such a lot of your time and energy to just get, you know, sort of the basic things in place mm-hmm. because you see the potential and you have to, you have to, you have to spend time and energy 
if you want to see the outputs that you want to see in the world. And so what are the qualities that you look for when you decide you're going to invest time into people, or into you young know, people? I look for an inquiring mind. I, I look for somebody who's not scared to speak in public. Mm-hmm. Um, I look for someone who might be shy, but you can see there's actually something very interesting. It's normally a chemistry thing. I apply the two-minute rule. If I don't connect with you within two minutes, I'm not going to waste my time with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so within that two minutes, if that chemistry is there and it's a young person who has a desire to 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 make something of themselves. You know what, Shemaine? I get such a lot of inbox messages. I'm, I'm scared of my inbox. I'm <laughs> one day going to publish it. Um, uh-huh. Of people whom I don't know, who I have been in my conversation for two minutes or I've been somewhere, just like today I've got five requests for um, uh, interviews for their university projects because I spoke at their universities. And so they they took something from whatever it is that I said. Mm-hmm. And so th- those people who come to you, who have the desire, who come to you and they say, you know what, I will work for free, but can I for three months just come to your office and sit anywhere you don't have to pay me. You don't have to. I just want to learn. That to me is I will spend my savings on you. Wow, that that is that is amazing. You know that you would uh, you would actually say I would I would spend on you. Definitely, that's that's like you know that's giving. Now I've come to know you um, as a very open person, very um, uh, very vulnerable openly vulnerable how did you get there because normally we don't want to put our stuff out there we don't want to put our hearts on our sleeves we don't want to you know people to 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 realize that we kind of like going through rough times we want to keep the the shiny side you know uh at the top i don't know how to say keep gaudi blank and boer you know it's like keep our pretenses and yet you're very vulnerable um, when it comes to your life, you can I can I mention that you, you even have been writing about the time that you were battling with um, with an eating disorder and and how you took that journey on board and how you are now talking about it. So, what makes you go to places where you know people will be able to see you and and see your wounds and and respond to them? Look, it's again. Let me go back to um, where I come from. Um, where I was surrounded by um, women. Mm-hmm. Who were, many of them were stay-at-home moms. Many of them didn't have enough education to um, to go somewhere. And, you know, we also come at that time from a culture where the men um, will go to university and the women will stay at home and you will have to go and work so that you can send your brother to high school. Mm-hmm. And so I come from that, that environment. So I've seen... A lot of abuse of those women. I've seen all those, how those women were treated. And I would see over weekends, for example, how things can go completely wrong in mm-hmm. some of the houses. And on Monday morning, life goes back to normal. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about it. Nobody says anything. And the cycle is repeated and repeated and repeated. I am a huge Oprah fan, right? Mm-hmm. So I have watched all of those shows. People can say Oprah's corny, Oprah says whatever. You can you take out of it what you, what you need and what you want. Mm-hmm. And when I made the discovery, for example, about jealousy as a useless emotion, um, and and I look at the stuff that I have gone through and are going through, and um, so I've also mastered the um, the the shame thing. 
Okay. What is shame? Shame is the thing that keeps us back from being ourselves or stepping out of an abusive relationship mm-hmm. or you will be in financial um, trouble, but you will not talk about it, even though the world around you knows that something is wrong. But that shame factor of I'm not going to say because I cannot stand uh, when people say, hi, shame, man. I can't, mm-hmm. I, people can't deal with it. And <clears throat> so that is why I have decided, you know what, if people place this label on me that they see me as a role model or somebody that they look up to or I'm vulnerable, like you say, mm-hmm. then s- somehow I I found resonance with people. Role model scares me, but we can talk about that. Um, so then I thought, you know what, I know so many people who have the same nonsense that I have gone through, but they don't talk about it. So if I say it, then maybe because we are friends in many instances, they will have the guts to do the same. Yeah. Step away, walk away, stop that nonsense. Say you are in trouble because if you don't say it, nobody can help you. Yeah. So um, we we actually had a conversation about this earlier, Liesl and, and, and myself and one of our guests, where we were going like, you know, if you see someone is in trouble and, you know, obviously we had a, a, a slight, um, you know, different way of thinking about it. But if you see uh, someone's in trouble, is it okay to say, yay, you are in trouble, you know, or is it the, the better thing to do what we nowadays tend to do um, to just uh, see that something's wrong but say nothing? What would you I say? Am, unfortunately, I don't have a filter in many occasions, but oh. this is the one place where I'm very, very careful. So I would rather, when I have a conversation with somebody that I know something is wrong and you're going through something, I would rather talk about the thing that I'm going through, that uh-huh. if it is a similar thing, and hope that while I'm telling my story, that you will find a resonance and say to me, I'm in trouble here. Yeah. Because then I can help. Because that's, you know how it is if you tell your girlfriend, listen, I think this, that, that, that. They take exception. Not all of them, but some mm-hmm. of them they do because it's their life. It's private. It's none of your business. So I'd rather use myself as an example instead of saying to you, um, but I think that uh, that relationship is not good for you or I don't think you should uh, buy the car because I'd rather say, look, listen, I don't have any money. Uh-huh. So, and if I don't have money, uh, I will tell you in your face, I'm not going to go out um, with you for lunch. I'm not going to make an excuse. I'm not going to say, you know what? I don't feel well. I'm going to go on straight on tell you, I don't have money. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't I go five times overseas a year? Straight on, I don't have money. So I don't aspire anymore to those things. Weird. I don't aspire those things because people have gone overseas for five times. Yay, I would also like to go. But seriously, girl, you don't have pro- uh, money, so you can't go. So, so and. Wh- what do you think then uh, sets your thinking apart? Because when I, I have to be honest with you, when I look at when I look at how you do life, mm-hmm. I look at you doing it in a spiritual way. Because I, I look at it without, you know, um, the, the, it's it's non egotistical. You just flow with it. You're just there. You know, the, the the pretense is gone. You've gone through stuff. You're able to mention it with, and 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 say it freely, which means you you helping us get rid of our shame. You know, because you know that thing where you you hold on to stuff and you don't mm. want to tell people that you're fallible. Um, you 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 know you're actually keeping someone else possibly from growth. And those things you do, you know. You're like a teacher all through. So, um, yeah. So, 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 why do you think you 
or how did you get to the place where you where you are without caring about extra I don't know external stuff and and looking good <clears throat> do you know what I think I think it's I do a lot of introspection and I do a, a lot of self um, I live in my head a lot of the time um, and I think things through and I have conversations with myself like a mad person um, about um, why I feel a particular way what am I going to do about it that I might not do it after I've thought it entirely through, mm-hmm. but I do have a conversation about um, myself, about the things um, that I um, want want to share. It took me a, a long time to talk about the weight thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I still struggle with it. Do you want to mention it on air so that it comes from your mouth without me paraphrasing what you would have said? Would you mind? Um, no, sure. Just for a minute talking about it and, and so on and some of the journey. Look, it, it, it's... It's again, you know, you grow up and, and the other, the, the thin and the beautiful girls get all the attention and you, the nerd girl, um, who lives in the library, um, and, and so on. So obviously you, you get less attention than the girls, um, who are prettier and the hair is longer and all of that. I know uh, that no story. Resentment you know. towards that girls. I know hey. that story. Hey, you love that story. No, no, I know that story of, you know, oh, okay. the pretty okay. girls and, and the girls who just sit with the books and, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the girls yeah, who yeah. had boyfriends and the girls who didn't have boyfriends. <laughs> there you go. Those little things <laughs> that, that, that niggle us since, you know, we're so young. Mm. Yeah. And so it became, I became obsessed with, with weight, with my weight. And I call it my obsession with my silhouette. Mm-hmm. which is another delusion in itself, but anyway, it works for me. Um, and so when I, when I gained weight, you, you know, then it becomes even worse for you mm-hmm. because now you're not just the nerd girl, you know, you're like the fat nerd girl <laughs> and no attention at all, right? Uh-huh. And so when I lost weight, right, and I started controlling my weight, I started controlling my weight by inducing vomiting, uh-huh. Because I would still crave food, but I also didn't want the food because the food's going to make me like fat, and I uh-huh. like I love food, and so I would eat, and I would vomit. I would eat, and I would induce um, um, the vomit. I would stick my finger in my throat, and I would purge the food that I ate, and it went on for years. Uh-huh. Um, and I I kept my weight at a particular. Um, Size, I felt good about myself. I started getting attention. I had the hottest boy um, on campus. And so it all feeds into your ego falsely mm. that if you do this and if you do that and if you look a particular way and if you do that, that is what will. So I vomited and, and, and I still do. You know, I can't say that I don't. There are still days when I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to eat three of those slices of cake because it is just so good mm-hmm. because I'm going to vomit two of it out. It mm-hmm. still happens, you know. So but I am more in control of my mind because I know how ridiculously stupid it is because it's not about the silhouette anymore. Uh. It's something in my head that I need to control because I seriously don't care what I look like anymore nowadays. But it is that thing of overeating and purging and overeating and purging, and um, but you know it doesn't happen often. Do you feel um, guilty when you do it nowadays? I do, and what, I feel terrible. What do you know what I mean? Because I'm a freaking adult, um, and I've got all these wonderful things that I do, and I'm so in control. So I can't I control a hundred percent this particular thing. Mm. 
And if you have a daughter of 18 year old in your house, and she called me once, and I think you know the story, where she said, you know, she she said, you smell so sour, and why do you vomit? Do you think I don't know? And when she was much younger, Mm. and that's when I got the wake up call, when I decided, you know what, bust it. Because I can't transfer my, that rubbish, because I had to explain to her why I do it. I was like, oh, I'm full. I just need to get a red like of top bit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to be real about it. And so I had to sit it down and I said, you know what? I don't want you to feel this and that about your weight. Um, and I don't want you to feel this and I don't want you to feel that. Um, and, and then it forced me to talk about it. And I still say to her, because she would sometimes say, mom, you ate such a lot, are you going to vomit? Because mm. she's aware of it. So there's like a little police in the house that, that <laughs> you know, that looks at it. Um, but it, it, it is a struggle. It's like I'm sure an alcoholic feels the same way. It's an addiction to something that is not real. Was was your daughter the first honest conversation you had about your bulimia? Because I was busted yeah. by her. Was she, was she the first honest conversation you no had? No one else had the conversation with me. No one. No one said anything. I don't know whether nobody suspected or whatever until I wrote about it and then my one of my best friends said to me, you know what, Ing, I suspected, but I wasn't sure. Mm. I said, well, why didn't you just ask? You know? And um, and then she said, well, you know, sometimes you, you don't know. I said, well, you know what, the two of us have been through such a lot of rubbish, um, me and, and this friend of mine, uh-huh. um, with her own stuff. Like, what do you mean? You know? So there are people who, who still think that they can't... Um, open up because they're going to shame me in the process. It's the whole thing of shame. Mm. You know, you don't want to shame the other person because um, it will make you feel in a particular way. So it is terrible, this whole thing of not wanting to intervene in other people's lives when you see, um, for example, that there, there is a problem. But like you said, my daughter was the first one I actually had the conversation with. No one else other than that actually, even now that they know. They will kindly say, like, oh, I saw your thing with that eating thing. Um, glad you talked about it. Finish of conversation. <laughs> so now, what, what are the triggers? Do you, do you know what the triggers are that would make you relapse? And I'm asking this question not just for yours, but, you know, maybe you can identify something that – because we all have those weak spots and we all have triggers mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't know how to identify them or what they are. But from, from you know, from conversation, one can kind of like see a pattern and, and sometimes you go like, oh, okay, so now I see that's also what I do. So now I see you coming, so now I'm going to cross the road. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so what are your triggers? Do you uh, – or, or possible triggers when you relapse? I think my um, triggers are when I'm in a particularly vulnerable spot. Say I'm like now I'm overworked and and um, things are not going the way that I think it should or must go or whatever. And then you work yourself into a little depression mm-hmm. and then you eat, you know, because it's it's like your go-to thing. Um, and I know through that that I might have an addictive personality. For mm-hmm. example, um, I can wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning and go like, hmm, maybe I should have a glass of wine. <laughs> so wrong. Um, because I love wine. Uh-huh. And so I know if I give into that emotion at that particular time, mm. right, it could lead to a very, very scary place. And it's the same with food. Right. Um, 
And so you, were, you, I mean, your, your, the nature of your work is such that you can't really run away from it. No. You know, because isn't it, you, you get, you get, I, I almost want to say accosted after hearing you, <laughs> but you know, um, the, uh, there's food, there's, there's wine, there, there are it's places of me, you know? fun and So and people say, decadence. oh my God, you've got such a lovely girl. Like, mm-hmm, who's half over tomorrow and who over eight? Not you, me. Mm-hmm. So I have to deal with it. Um, but so yeah, I, th- I think it's when I'm, when I'm overly, um, stressed and overly stretched and overly, then I, then because I eat, I know I cannot eat because I'm going to gain weight. And when I gain weight, um, my chest is going to sound like it sounds now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to not feel well. So why don't I have the second donut and then just throw it up and just get it out of my system? Okay. So, all right. So, so you, you are this very honest and yet you someone's boss and I'm saying someone, but there are many. Um, so how does that play into your life when you, when you, when you're this honest with, you know, maybe staff members, do you, do you think they go like, uh, uh, she's such a wuss or no, her business all over or have you, have you, have you been able to gauge how they, um, I'm a very strong personality. Mm-hmm. And so I hold court on a Monday morning with everyone. I used to do check-ins with people. Um, and the check-in will be about work, but the check-in will also be very personal. Mm-hmm. And I would say to people that if you – if some people come to work and they leave their lives and their personalities at the door, which is fine, um, and some come to work with all of the baggage, mm-hmm. right? Um, so when I hold court on a Monday morning, I always use myself as an example. So I will say – if you are going through this and that, um, I understand because I've been there, I've done this and that, and that. I always use myself as an example because that's the only example I can use because I don't want to use other people. And so I will sit with them and I will tell them what I'm going through. I will tell them what I've done over the weekend. I will tell them if I screwed up. I will tell them anything so that these youngsters, you know, because they think life is is perfect Um and that you don't show stuff if it's not perfect, uh-huh. and that everything just falls in your lap just because. So if I showed them that I have failed uh-huh. at something, if I did a, uh, we went for a pitch and we didn't get it, and I was like, oh my god, I'm just gonna open a bottle of whiskey and we can just drink it all up. Uh-huh. And so I show them all of that because you have to fail to get up. You have to yeah. do all of these things to see yourself in a clearer light. You don't grow. Mm-hmm. You don't get to 55 and say, I've done A, B, C, D, and E. Um, if you do not put all of these steps in place. Yeah. I'm particularly worried, for example, about the suicide um, rate in this country. Mm-hmm. So many, not so many, but about three of my friends in the last three years. It is scary that we, as their friends, did not see it coming. Are these grown-up friends? These are grown-up people. One of my friends, a week before he committed suicide, we sat, we had the bestest of conversation. I was so inspired by him. I like So when I got the call that this is what has happened, I like it took my breath away, literally, mm-hmm. because how did we not see it? And then in hindsight, when we started talking about it, it was some people saw it, but you're like, it's none of my business. Maybe he's just depressed. Maybe he's just that. And so there was a lot of guilt, you know, within our circle of friends about why was he able to disguise it so well? Why was it? So that's my thing about 
speaking and saying. And if people can't deal with what you give them, it's not your responsibility what people's response to you is. To come back to your question, yeah. it is not my responsibility to wonder how people are going to react to me. I can only be that core that I've decided or come to my authentic self. That's the only thing I can be. Mm. I cannot take responsibility for how you react to me. And if the, the youngsters in here react in a particular, you must come to my office one day mm. um, and, and speak to them, you know, without me. Um, you'll find that I have remained friends, for example, with people who have left our company. Right. Good friends. Right. I cried when some of them left, but because there's this connection uh-huh. between us on a particular level, because I hate this thing of boss, uh-huh. you know. Somebody said this morning, you know, you must look at how these youngsters sometimes speak. I said, how do they speak? Uh-huh. I said, no, they, they, they have this disagreement with you. I said, so how are we happy to surround ourselves with people who are yes people, you know? Uh-huh. So if you don't learn to roll with these punches and come back to that word of yours in the beginning, are you a modern blah-de-blah uh, woman? <laughs> woman. Are you? No. You know what? I've just, you have to own yourself. And if you own yourself, then it doesn't actually matter if someone differs with you. Uh-huh. Do you remember in the old days, um, people would get up. The boss walked in, so you would get up um, um, so that that person would have a chair. There's no other chairs in the room. You have to stand because the boss has to sit. Uh-huh. I have time for that rubbish. I can't deal with it. So okay. if we, we're equal, but they know. I will do X, but you will see on my entire demeanor the minute that I think you've gone a step too far. All right. So you're happy to change, but you also, you still, you, 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 um, you're aware of your own space. So. Very. Uh, I I learned this as well, you know, about failing. I I, I used to feel very bad about failing. Um, and one day I had an interview, um, and Gareth uh, actually interviewed Liesl and myself, the, my other partner who's, um, you know, part of the show. And um, so that's now Gareth Cliff. The, <laughs> am I explaining well, myself? Clearly. So um, now sometimes, you know, you have the same name but not the same person. You, you can, mm-hmm. So And then he... he, he he mentioned the fact that I'd said that I'd failed so many times that, you know, if I, I, I didn't get up fast enough, I was scared that I wouldn't be able to get up. And I, I said, yeah. And then after that, I thought about that and I actually thought, you know what? I'm so glad that he brought that up because, uh, it, it highlighted to me how I looked at failure. I looked at failure as a negative thing, whereas now I look at failure and I go, it's a necessary thing. Um, you know, it doesn't have positive, it doesn't have negative, but you have a right to fail if you are going to grow. And if you put yourself out there to change, then you have a right to fail so that you can get it right, if at all. Um, you know, but you, at least you give it a try and, and, and so that when, uh, someone else comes along that you're not cocky but that you're actually quite compassionate about <coughs> the person's process do you know what I mean so um, I now look at it and I go like uh-huh I failed again but I have a right to fail and let's see if I can do it differently th- the next time around so otherwise, how do you learn huh <coughs> how do you learn because otherwise how do you learn but that stigma 
still remains that we are not allowed to fail. And I think older people, more so our age, you know, probably people after 35 upward have more of that because we were were taught to be so careful of life, you know, to not make mistakes. That has been drummed into us. So when we do make mistakes, (coughs) we absolutely chastise ourselves to the nth degree. Do you know what I mean? I do. And it is societal and it is generational. And so I hope that um, <clears throat> with our children we will be able to act differently. Should I, I just need to, you need um, to have, have a little a- honey for my um, uh, uh, throat, as you can hear. So I don't want to cough in your ear. So okay. I- <laughs> Are you just going to go and have a cough? Okay, you have a cough and I'll just do a, a quick ident. Okay. So this is Beyond Ears and Eyes on Cliff Central. Um, my best friend, Liesl, isn't here today. So I'm having a fabulous conversation with Ingrid Jones. And um, she, well, that's the person that you hear in the background having a coughing fit. And so we just, we're talking today about, actually, you know, if I'm going to give it a title or if I'm going to give it a name... It's probably um, practical spirituality because it's spirituality for me is that thing that you practice, you know, that, that, that brings joy, that brings laughter, that um, imparts life, that's generous, um, you know, that uh, uh, recognizes uh, uh, one another or the other as equal and, and, and divine. So that's me and Ingrid Jones. Ingrid, have you had your cough? <laughs> I'm sure we'll get through it. Are you still having your cough? Are you? Are you? Are you you've got a bit of a, a cough for a few days now already. I have. Um, yeah, old age, you know. Ah, it takes longer. Ah, come on, that old age thing. I don't believe in that anymore. It's like kind of like you know we we are. Mm, I don't know. We're a different species now. Did you see how young we look for our age? You know, when people were fifty, they used to look really old before. And so now there's a there's a, a, a complete change. I think I think humans are changing mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually at a very rapid rate. I'm quick to say when people ask me, "Oh, you're 55," so that they can go like, "No, <laughs> quick." <laughs> I'm not one of those females go like, "Ah, oh, you don't ask a lady your age; it's rabbish." Uh-huh, so you don't believe that. Yeah. So, so what <clears throat> kind of parent are you? Are you like a strict parent? I am a very strict parent. I'm a helicopter mother, and um, so and so. What are the uh, lessons that you that you wish your daughter would take away from you, um, which is practical, which can you know obviously. Uh, she she can, needs to be very independent, which she is. She needs to be very respectful, which mm-hmm. she is. Um, you know, differ as much as you want, but mm-hmm. please, I'm not your friend. I'm your mother. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what other parents do or what other people say, or but this one is going to do that. I don't care. I am your mother. I was put on this earth. To uh, I've got a job to do. I've got a daughter to raise. I've got a, a human to raise, mm-hmm. right, that one day has to operate in this world. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I am um, with her. I have very open conversations with her. We have hard conversations. We never fight. I mean, I'm probably more of the fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, she argues. um quite well, mm-hmm. which I admire. There's not just a question of, you can't just say no, you have to have like valid reasons. So she mm-hmm. forces me to have um, a conversation with her about the stuff that I say no to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when um, 
she gets to that particular point that she understands why it is the way that it is. So I'm actually quite, um, I said to someone yesterday, I actually feel quite sad that she doesn't need me anymore. <laughs> she's 18 now and God, she's done all her applications for university on her own. Uh-huh. She um, went for driving lessons on her own. She she didn't get into um, res um, at this one particular campus. So she went to Stellenbosch and she went looking for an apartment on her own. Wow. And told myself and her father after the fact. And so she's very, very independent. Um, and, 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 and I admire that. Um, in her. I don't think I tell her that enough. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a very emotional person. Um, I'm not touchy-feely. I'm not, oh, my God, I miss you so much. Oh, my God, I love you so much. I'm not that girl. Um, <clears throat> which is probably very difficult for her and my poor husband. Um, but I try and do stuff that will make them know that I do this because I place you people first. So speaking about your husband, you do have a, an amazing history. Um, he also has, you know, he's been part of the struggle. Um, and uh, that's, you know, the apartheid struggle. That's what I'm talking about for people who don't know that. Well, that sounds a little cocky, doesn't it? But anyway, <laughs> as just to clarify, because now somebody could go at struggle, as that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, and, and your husband, Peter, has been, he was the one that when, the, when, um, when the cops got, uh, Stephen Biko, that they were the two that were together. Yeah. So obviously there 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 must be scars still from that experience. <clears throat> there are very 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 deep scars, um, <clears throat> and you know he, he uh, you, you, two of them went into a building, one left dead, and the other one was buried somewhere in a small little um, cell for about five hundred days after the fact, where nobody knew. Um, where he was, and so where, where he heard, um, for example, after the funeral, that Steve was killed mm-hmm. and buried, at, and and he didn't know. So if that's your best friend, can you imagine um, mm-hmm. the feelings that that you must have had? Um, so he talks about um, a hole in his soul that hasn't healed, and I, I don't think it will ever heal. Mm. Um, so once a year. Um, on the 12th of September, then he is asked for the last 40 years um, to come and speak about what happened. So he's never spoke about actually what happened um, on the day, the emotional things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to live with someone that has buried all of these emotions so deep, mm-hmm. that partic- that person acts out in a particular way, right. in different ways. Right. And so um, because he doesn't talk about it and it's sort of a very struggle thing that um, people don't talk about what they went through. None of them uh, do, hey? Those who went through harrowing things, they just <coughs> they just don't do. They just don't want they to don't, go there. That, yeah, because we, we don't have a, a, a culture of, for example, men that must open up about their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so he hasn't talked about it. Uh and so he used to bury himself in drinking a lot, mm. right? Um, to the point where we had to say, but if you do not stop mm-hmm. this destructive behavior of drinking, then it is going to have X 
consequences. The escape, right? because that's a, it's escaping, isn't it? It's like absolutely, just, just absolutely. Like a, can I, yeah. So there's that, and 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 a stressful world to live in, and you look at the the world that is developed, the world that you fought for, that is falling apart, um, because this is not what you fought for. So you become depressed. Yeah, and so. You have to live with that. You can either walk away, right, from um, your partner with post-traumatic uh, stress part disorder, depression, mm-hmm. um, stress disorder, or you can say, like we as a family have decided, we, this is what we're going to do, mm-hmm. right? So we consulted um, specialists and experts and people who knew him and understood him, um, and I said. It is not my journey. Right. It's your journey. I'm going to support you on your journey, um, but then A, B, C, and D must happen. Mm. Okay? So we surrounded him with that. He decided this is uh, this and this is what he is going to do. Um, and we have come out on the other side stronger. Wow. But it is a constant daily annual journey mm-hmm. that you have to say to yourself if I because you know sometimes people I think there was sometimes that my sister would say like but yeah, walk away mm. do you know what I mean it's not your journey which mm. it wasn't but if you look at him today mm. and you look at um, for example the stuff that he was prepared to talk about in this particular year um, and how he has transgressed whatever he's gone through, so much so that he's decided that he is almost finished with a book that he's writing, where all of these things that he will even, he will now talk about it. It is a journey to stay in a relationship like that. The rewards are extraordinary. Um, for example, he is the most extraordinary um, intellectual that I know. He is the most extraordinary father that I know. He is the most extraordinary husband that I could have married. Um, so somebody probably would have walked away. But it is a journey that we have to take on every day because we know what the whole is and why the whole is there. And what is it that we are going to do? How are we living consciously so that the struggles that we go through don't trip us up? Do you think your way of thinking, your way of approaching life, you know, um, living consciously has had an impact on how he approaches things? Look, I probably learned conscious living from him because he's going to call his book Authentic Black. Okay. His reasons. So he lives a very authentic life mm-hmm. um, himself. He is very, in, he, he interrogates everything and anything mm. in his life. But there is this one side, almost an underdeveloped side, um, where he has this this thing of of not going to an emotion if he is not comfortable or in charge of that particular emotion. Okay, so he needs to be ready before he goes there. Absolutely. So, Ingrid, obviously we don't talk about it, but the remnants of the hurt, you know, it's still, it still reverberates, especially with the older people, um, mm. the apartheid-induced um, hurts. Um, so how does that still influence you 
uh, specifically you guys who's had um, something this intense happening um, to you? How does it play out in a daily um, way with with your relation race relations and um, thoughts around race and and what is even happening now? Look, I'm very vocal about race and what I like and don't like about it. I call a spade a spade. If I see it, I call it out. Um, I think it's very difficult for him because he comes from um, the black consciousness movement. Mm-hmm. And so that consciousness was, was a way of life, for example, for them. Uh, he's um, become much better um, at it, at looking at race doesn't help if your children grow up and then they marry white men. So you are forced to deal with it mm-hmm. um, because it's now it's in your face and you have to, the stuff that, that you weren't around with, you now have to deal with in his case, for example. And mm-hmm. um, one of his daughters from, a, 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 bef- from before, mm-hmm. um, because I'm the second wife, um, got married um, to a white guy. So he had to deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise it will destroy him. Yeah. And now they are better. Um, me, I struggle. I get so angry. Like if you just scratch me, yeah. right? I go to a place so quickly uh-huh. because it is hard for me to forget. Yeah. Because apartheid didn't happen 50,000 years ago. It mm. happened a gener- not even a generation ago. Yeah. 21 years ago. In other words, half of my life I have lived and most of us have lived a very dehumanized life. It doesn't matter how good we came out of it, mm. but we were and still feel in most instances like second citizens. Yeah. So and, I and get very, like very, well. very angry. And that is why I involve myself with young media practitioners, black, um, because if I believe if we do not give them a hands up until they are needed because some companies are forced to take them on, because of triple BEE um, uh, regulations and next year in April 2018, they will be forced to um, to uh, comply. Yeah. And so you take people on just because you have to. I freaking cannot stand it. So I make sure that the people that will be trained are well trained. They are excellent. Um, I believe that um, excellence wasn't extinct in 1994. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a hard belief that we have to fight through. We have to fight still thrice as hard as anyone else to almost prove that we should be part of this new dispensation. So, yeah, if you want to anger me, you should come with me with cheap race shots. I can't. Okay, and then we 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 actually out of time. There was one thing that I still wanted to ask you about because you yes. you have thoughts, but this is like a minute. You have thoughts about uh, you know like uh, crashing the the self care myths. Do you know what? Do you know what women believe self care is? If you want to get me angry again, okay, go there. You've got a minute to get really mad. To go for a spa <laughs> treatment, to go for a manicure, to go for a pedicure. What the hell is that? Uh. They will leave their minds unplugged, right? They will not do anything about spiritual development. Uh-huh. But once they've gone for a spa treatment and a, a nice bottle of champagne, then they believe that they have looked after themselves. Once a year on Mother's Day, another on Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and then there's Women's Day that has morphed into Mother's Day. 
and then they believe that they've actually done something. So what, I cannot. So what you invite we, people, for example, to go to a, um, a spiritual retreat or let's do something where we engage our minds and we unpack ourselves. Nobody's coming. Because there's no spa, there's so, no manicure, there's no pedicure, so, there's nobody who's going to do my nails. Okay, so what is that your... That is what, not self-care. So what is your self-care? You've got like 30, 30 seconds now. What would you say? <laughs> self-care is, for one example, enroll yourself in a spiritual enrichment. Okay. Um, so go to church, if that's, for example, if that's your thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But it has to do with your mind and your soul and not with your nails. Feed the spirit, feed the soul, feed the mind. Yep. You know, Ingrid, it was a pleasure to talk to you. so quickly. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, but we are out of time. I really do want to thank you for your time um, and, you know, for giving us insights into practical spiritual living. Um, you know, and yeah, so I commend you for the life that you live. I look at your life and I go like, that woman, yeah. That's that's. I like feel the earth. same about you. Aw, thank you. <laughs> so, okay, that's Ingrid Jones. She is the MD of Mika Teco Media, and she spoke to us on Beyond Ears and Eyes. So, thank you so much for joining us. Do download this, get it on podcast. My uh, Twitter handle is Shumane H. Um, so, um, yeah, like I always say when we end this program. Look after yourself. And today we had Palisa, but not the other one. Today we've had Palisa Magadla. Thank you so much, Palisa, for being on controls. Ingrid, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Cliffcentral.com.